Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. The NCAA tournament by its nature is very polarizing. We just had the bracket preview show where the NCAA tournament seeding committee released the top 16 seeds. And the reason that that's important is because if you're going to win the 2018 NCAA tournament, you have to be in the top 16 seeds. Why is that, you ask? Because if you look back at the NCAA tournament since 1985, when it expanded to 64 teams, 30 of the 33 national champions have been seeded in the top four seeds of one of the regions. So out of all the teams that are seeded one, two, three, or four, over the last 33 NCAA tournaments, 30 of the 33 teams have been from those seeds. That's 91%. There's only been three teams that have won the NCAA tournament not being in that group. That was the 2014 seventh-seeded UConn Huskies, or should I say the UConn Shabazz Napiers, the 1988 sixth-seeded Kansas Jayhawks, Danny Manning and the Miracles, and of course the legendary 1985 eighth-seeded Villanova Wildcats, who won the title with one of the greatest upsets in NCAA tournament history. So for those teams that want to win the NCAA championship, that bracket preview show is very important. Because if you're not in that group, you're probably not winning it. Now, Selection Sunday is still a little under a month away, so that can change. But last year, 15 of the 16 teams that were in the bracket preview show were seeded that way on Selection Sunday. The only team that didn't make it last year, ironically, was the Virginia Cavaliers who fell to the five line and were passed by the Purdue Boilermakers, who moved to the four line after winning the Big Ten regular season. So the NCAA tournament is very polarizing because if you want to win the NCAA tournament, you need to be in those top 16 seeds more than likely. But the flip side is when we think of March Madness and we talk about March Madness and all the great things that happen, we talk about the upsets. We talk about the low seeds. We talk about the Middle Tennessee States beating Michigan State. We talk about the year that two 15s beat two seeds, where Norfolk State beat Missouri and Lehigh beat Duke. So we celebrate the low seeds. We celebrate the upset. We celebrate the Cinderella's, but we know in our hearts that the teams that are going to win are probably at the top which leaves a huge void for those teams in the middle. And that is what we're going to concentrate today on the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Because if you want to fill out a successful bracket and potentially win your bracket challenge among your friends, among your company, your business, or just an online group, you have to predict the middle right. That's what's going to make or break it. If one of the top seeds get eliminated early, probably knocks a lot of people out. And sure, you can pick a couple upsets along the way, but more than likely, they don't advance past the Sweet 16. But the middle seeds are the ones who can sneak into a Final Four. The middle seeds are the ones who can make an Elite Eight. And the middle seeds are the one that you have to worry about if you want to predict the bracket correctly. And as you know, I myself, Mike Randall, am on a mission for the perfect bracket. Before I die and leave this earth, I hope in my heart that I have a perfect bracket. My partner Gus and I love college basketball. No one loves it more than us. We live it. We breathe it. We wait all year for this tournament. 
So I'm going to hold myself to perfection and I'm going to accept nothing less. I want 32 from 32 on that first day. I want 16 to 16 on the second day. And I want to continue all the way through. So in my striving to hit the moon, hoping to hit the stars, I'm going for the perfect bracket, which means we have to figure out the teams in the middle. Who are those teams right now that are not in the top 16, not the Cinderella's, but those that can make a run that are dangerous, that can upset a couple seeds, the six seeds that can beat the threes, the seven seeds that can beat the twos like South Carolina last year, the 11 seeds like Xavier who can get on fire and make an elite eight. That's where your bread is buttered. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. So the reason that you should concentrate on the middle is because middle teams may not win the NCAA tournament, but the middle teams make the final four an awful lot. In fact, let's look at the numbers. Since 1985, that's 33 NCAA tournaments times four final four teams. That's 132 teams we're talking about. 54 of them have been one seeds. That's 41%, meaning in any given year, you're a little bit under 50-50 on your one seed making the final four. 41% of the one seeds have made the final four. Two seeds, 28 out of 132. That's 21% of the two seeds have made the final four. Go to three seeds, 15 out of 132. That's 11%. We're going down. But notice we're still hanging around. Watch, 13 out of 132 for the four seeds, six out of 132, five seeds have made the final four. Three six seeds have made the final four since 1985. Three seven seeds, five eight seeds. Surprising, right? Five eight seeds have made the final four. Why? Because once they upset that one seed, they often get hot. In fact, in 2000, two eight seeds made the final four, Wisconsin and North Carolina. Butler made the final four as an eight seed in 2001. In fact, they made it all the way to the final game. And how about Kentucky in 2014? Harrison Brothers, they made it all the way to the final game. Lost a close one to UConn. So eight seeds are live. Only others, one nine seed, which was Wichita State in 2013. One ten seed, which was Syracuse two years ago. And three 11 seeds, ironically, only one nine seed, only one ten seed. And three 11 seeds, the same amount as the seven, have made the final four. Who are those seeds? You know them well. VCU in 2011, George Mason on their incredible run in 2006, and my personal favorite back in 1986, LSU crashed the party in the final four. That was a year where Kansas made the final four as a one seed. Duke made the final four as a one seed. Louisville made the final four as a two seed. And LSU made it as an 11. So if you look in the middle there, and we add this up, the five seeds, six, six seeds, three, seven seeds, three, eight seeds, five, nine seeds, one, 10 seeds, one, 11 seeds, three. That's 22 teams that have made the final four from the middle seeds. 33 years, 22 seeds. Now, don't even ask me how many of those middle seeds have made the Elite Eight, because it's a heck of a lot more. So we have to take a look this year at the teams that are in the middle and identify which teams have a chance to make that run to the Final Four. So let's take a look at Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology on ESPN and take a look at the seeds here and see which ones in the middle we should be worried about. Now, of course, the first place your eyes go to are the five seeds, right? Because they were almost a four. But the first one I see in the South region that I think could be an issue is Rhode Island. 
Now, Rhode Island was in my top 16, uh, RandallRant.com, the website. I got my short corner up there. Take a look at it. I thought Rhode Island should be in. RPI's five. Played some tough games. Played without E.C. Matthews for a while. Preseason first team all A-10. Rhode Island's a dangerous team. Guards win in March. We talk about it all the time. And they start four guards. Every game they start Jared Terrell, forward guard, but not a, a big man per se. E.C. Matthews, Stanford Robinson, Jeff Dowden, all centered around Andre Berry, the big man inside. But they also have a bench. They have Jarvis Garrett. I love the N1 mixtape tours waiting for Jarvis Garrett. He's a senior, great ball handler. And Cyril Langevin, one of the keys to their season is how well Cyril Langevin can play coming off the bench. In fact, he's a leading rebounder at 5.8 per game. They shoot the three. Garrett's at 43%. Terrell's at 42%. He's been phenomenal. He's been the best player in the A-10 this year, start to finish. So Rhode Island is a dangerous, dangerous team. And if you look at their schedule, they've been very impressive. They went to Nevada, an impossible place to play, and they were right with Nevada until E.C. Matthews broke his wrist. They beat Seton Hall without him, Jared Terrell at over 30. Lost a game to Virginia, understandable. They beat Providence. Lost at Alabama, who's always tough. They beat Florida Gulf Coast by 20, blew them out. Beat St. Bonaventure earlier this year. Won at Dayton, never easy. In fact, they're 13-0 in the Atlantic 10, 21-3 overall. And they're in the midst of a 16-game winning streak. Now, they have some tests coming up. At the end of this week, they probably have the biggest test the entire season at St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure getting healthy. Matt Mobley, Jalen Adams. Real tough place to play up there. That will be their biggest test. Then they have to go to LaSalle. They host Dayton. They host St. Joe's and at Davidson. But they can shoot the ball. They have senior leadership. They have a bench. Danny Hurley's done a fantastic job. They're an issue. In fact, where they're seated right now in bracketology, as the five C, they play Middle Tennessee State, which is a shame. Middle Tennessee State, if you listen to this podcast, we love the Blue Raiders, one of our favorite mid-major schools. But I'd have Rhode Island beating them and beating Tennessee in the next round and going up against Virginia. And I'll tell you right now, that would be a tough game. That would be a tough matchup. So Rhode Island is the first team that jumps off the page to me as a five seed. Another team that is super dangerous there in the middle is the five seed West Virginia Mountaineers. You heard about all those wins, all those great wins in the RPI top 50. Sure, they've had a slide. Sure, it's been tough. It's because of their style. Sometimes they make the shots, sometimes they don't. Bob Huggins has been a two final fours playing that style. And when he had Deshaun Butler, he made it there to the final four. And he's got Javon Carter this year. Now they're trying to mesh everybody together, trying to get some consistency in offense, but they're going to be relentless. And they probably gave Gonzaga, besides the UNC game, their toughest scare in the tournament last year. So right now they're at the five seed. And they'd be in the Midwest, according to Lenardi, against Ohio State. I'd like West Virginia in that game. Ohio State's overachieved all year. But they're not going to see, they haven't seen pressure in the Big Ten like they'd see against West Virginia. And then look who's in West Virginia's bracket. Xavier. And that certainly is one of the weaker one seeds we've had in quite a long time. As great as they've been, all the one seeds are vulnerable, but especially Xavier. So there's no reason that in a Midwest bracket, if West Virginia's your five, that they can't beat Ohio State, Xavier, at the potentially the Auburn, North Carolina, Michigan, Arizona State winner. That's a pretty favorable bracket for a team that played in the Big 12, that's won huge games all year, and has already beaten Virginia. That's a favorable draw. So West Virginia, super dangerous. Of course, how can I go without talking about Gonzaga? Gus would kill me here. If I didn't talk about Gonzaga, because they'd be a 5C right now in the West, according to the Bracketology by Joe Lenardi. And Gonzaga is super dangerous. The key to Gonzaga, sure, they're not defending at the same rate they did last year. Last year, they were number one in defensive efficiency as per Kempom. But they have a bench. They have a phenomenal coach. We know that. They have experience. And they have a difference maker in Ruri Hashimura. Ruri Hashimura is one of the few players in this tournament that can carry a team on his shoulders. He's that good. I thought Gus's comparison to Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Milwaukee Bucks was phenomenal. Hashimura is that good, and no one in the country really knows about him. 
He's an issue. Killian Tilly has played big minutes at center. That's what they need. They need Jonathan Williams to go to the four. He's a superior athlete. We know that. The only issue with Gonzaga that worries me is Josh Perkins. Gus has talked about this because you need consistent point guard play. But they have all the ingredients. Great coach. Just pounded St. Mary's, getting hot at the right time. Don't worry about their schedule. They played in PK-80. So there are some superior five seeds right now. If you want to talk about middle bracket that I look at, Rhode Island, Gonzaga, and West Virginia. Now let's go to the sixes. There's only one six that jumps off the page, folks, to me. And it's a team that I think is going to the Final Four. And I said was going to the Final Four at the beginning of the year. The Wichita State Shockers. This is a gut instinct, folks. Sometimes you go by the math. Sometimes you go by your gut. This is a gut. This is a Wichita State team that knows how to make the Final Four. This is a Wichita State team that has a great coach. This is a Wichita State team that's continually upset big teams, whether it's Gonzaga, whether it's Kansas in the second round. Year after year in the tournament, while coming out of the Missouri Valley Conference. This year, they have taken a step up in class to the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. They start off the year like a house of fire, even though they didn't have Marcus McDuffie, their leading scorer from last year. They played fantastically well in the Maui Gym Invitational. They beat Marquette, and they should have had Notre Dame, except for a crazy comeback. That's a Notre Dame team that had Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell. They lost by one, and they didn't have Marcus McDuffie. They challenged themselves in the non-conference. Who'd they play? They went to Baylor and won. They played Oklahoma, lost at home, but Oklahoma was on fire earlier this year. That's certainly a good game. They went at Oak State and won by 12. They beat Florida Gulf Coast. And now they've gotten into the conference swing and they've disappointed. Their usual defense, which is always stout, is not there right now. It's not happening. They lost back-to-back games in conference at home to SMU and then at Houston. Just bizarre. But I feel in my gut that Wichita State's going to be an issue before this season's over. They play Temple at home this Thursday, who I think they're going to roll to get Temple back, who beat them at home 81-79. Temple's been so up and down this year, right? They, they beat great teams. They lose to great teams. Just a bizarre team, Temple. But on the surface, when you fill out your bracket, no one is putting Wichita State through. No one will see them as a six and remember the last few years. That ship has sailed. When a mid-major program ends up making their run, people just sort of jump off the bandwagon. Now, Gonzaga doesn't count. They're not a mid-major, and they made the finals last year. But no one's going to remember that Wichita State was a blocked Landry Shamit three away from potentially beating Kentucky, who had incredible players, Monk, Fox, all those guys, and almost made the final four against UNC. But their end of their schedule sets up to prime them nicely in the AAC for a nice run in the tournament. Here's their end of schedule. After Temple, they go to Cincinnati. Now, that's a game everybody's going to favor Cincinnati on, right? Cincinnati's been great. I love Cincinnati. I have Cincinnati also going to the Final Four. I wouldn't be surprised if Wichita State kept that game massively close or won. Then they have Tulane at home. Then they go to SMU, not going to be easy. Go to, to Central Florida. And then they host Cincinnati at home. I would bet the farm that they win at home against Cincinnati in that last game because I don't think Cincinnati is going to need it for any reason not to win the regular season. They have a, a substantial lead in the conference. But I see a great coach. I see a phenomenal point guard in Landry Shamit, who's shooting 50% from the field. 50%. He's taken 230 attempts, folks, and he's shooting 50%. Three-point range on 136 attempts, 46%. And oh, by the way, he's 83% from the foul line. Great team, great coach, great point guard. Now, what else do they have? Well, they have depth. They have seven players averaging 20 minutes or more. And if you go 15 minutes or more, they have nine. They have shooters that come off the bench. They shoot to three well, almost 40% as a team. They have Darrell Willis Jr. 
11.1 points per game, 6.2 rebounds. Shaq Morris, 13 points and 5 rebounds. And I just believe in Greg Marshall. We've seen this before. I don't understand how Wichita State can do all the things that they've done historically in this tournament and then all of a sudden move up in class, have upperclassmen, have athletes that had experience last year in the NCAA tournament and get upset in the first round. I don't see it. In fact, if you look at their bracket right now on Bracketology, I think they'd be in a tremendous spot to go to the Final Four. They'd beat the playing winner of UCLA, Kansas State. And I know that playing winner is tough, but I'd like Wichita State there. Then they play a shorthanded Clemson team. That's tailor-made for them to make the Sweet 16. And then, oh, by the way, they either have Kansas or Texas A&M. They have Kansas. They always get up for that game, big time, because they want to have the interstate rival game. And then they'd be sitting in Purdue's bracket. And we know that Purdue has trouble putting big teams away. And I think Purdue's wonderful. My partner thinks they're going to the Final Four, and they may very well. But if they had Wichita State in their bracket, and that's Wichita State, who would have gone through beating Clemson and beating either Texas A&M or Kansas, I would take Wichita State in that game. I absolutely would. And I think their defense will come around. And if their defense comes around and they shoot the way they do and they have a great coach, why wouldn't you pick them? Wichita State as a sixth seed, as a middle team, is definitely one you should keep your eye on. Your seven seeds may be the most live of all. Creighton is good. I really would like Creighton. Greg McDermott's a great coach. Great guards. Kyrie Thomas has been great this year. Marcus Forster's been unbelievable. But with the Crample injury, Martin Crample, the sophomore, going out, I just think they're a little shorthanded. I think on the road, they're always a little weaker. They've lost on the road at Providence. And it's tough because there's really only one other player, Hegner, who's averaging close to 10 points a game, and he's a little bit under. So on the road, just having Foster, just having Thomas, no other options. They don't play a ton of defense. That's a tough seven seed for me to go through. I think they could win the first round against like an Arkansas, which is set up here. But I don't think they'd beat like a team like a Cincinnati in the second round. I think that's a bad matchup. The other seven seeds, Alabama. You know how much I love Alabama. They, they have the depth. They have shooters. They have star power. They have Petty, who can wreck a game by himself as that great shooter. Sexton's been unbelievable. Dante Hall's recovering from his injury inside. They have a great coach in Avery Johnson. They are a dangerous seven seed. And they would, I'll tell you something, Duke would want no part of them in round two. No part. Now, Duke is interesting because Coach K usually doesn't have back-to-back bad tournaments. He did back in 2006, 2007, I think. Got eliminated round of 64, round of 32. But if you look at Krzyzewski in the tournament, since he was the NCAA runner-up in 85, 86, very rarely is he bad in back-to-back years. NCAA runner-up in 86, then Sweet 16, then Final Four, then Final Four, then NCAA runner-up, then back-to-back national champions. Well, look at that run for Krzyzewski. Final Four, Final Four, title game, champion, champion. That's insane. Then round of 32, then NCAA runner-up. Then the year he got hurt, he had to take a leave. Then he comes back. So they really lost a year there, right? He comes back in 95-96, gets eliminated in the first round. Then he gets eliminated in the round of 32. But after that, he's back to his normal self. 87-88, Elite Eight. Then title game runner-up. Then Sweet 16. Then national champion. Then Sweet 16. Then Sweet 16. Then Final Four. Then Sweet 16. Then Sweet 16. Then the 2006-7 and 7-8 seasons back-to-back. Round of 64, round of 32. That second year, they lost. A, they were a two-seed. They lost to Providence with Pete Gillen and Austin Crozier. Remember that team? That's before Gillen went to Virginia. Probably should have stayed at Providence. But since that year, starting in 2008-2009, they haven't had bad back-to-back years. Sweet 16, national championship. Sweet 16, round of 64 in 2011-12. That first round year, they lost to Lehigh and CJ McCollum, who's now starring in the NBA. But then they went Elite Eight, then round of 64 again, but then NCAA champions, then Sweet 16, then round of 32. So Sheffield doesn't have back to back bad years. 
So that'd be a tough game against Alabama to pick them against. But I'll tell you right now, I'd give a lot of consideration to picking Alabama. In fact, I probably would because I think they can match them. I think Avery's a really solid coach. Not as great as Krzyzewski, but he's solid. They have freshmen. They have star power. They have a guy inside. They just killed Florida and Florida. They are very, very dangerous. Now the sevens, Arizona State. And while they haven't been hot, Bobby Hurley's a great coach and they certainly have guards. Trey Holder's been phenomenal. Shannon Evans has been incredible. Cody Justice hit some deep shots. Romello White's been strong. And even Remy Martin coming off the bench there. They have guards. Now, they were on fire earlier this year where they made that incredible run, including, including a huge win when they won at Kansas. Lately, they've been up and down. They had a run there where they had three losses out of four games. Lost at Arizona. Lost at Colorado. Lost at home against Oregon. Barely won at Utah. Almost had a four-game losing streak. They're starting to get things right now, and they're starting to heat up again. Won at Washington State by 10. Beat USC at home by 2. Beat UCLA by 9. So they're starting to get it right. And oh, by the way, on Thursday, they host Arizona in a payback game for the one they lost at Arizona. I think that's going to be fascinating. But Arizona State has those guards. In this bracketology, they played Auburn. Boy, that'd be the first team 100 wins, huh? But they're certainly dangerous. The other seven seed is Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M, Gus brought up a good point on the podcast the other night. They just kicked two players off the team or suspended two. It's a lot of bad mojo in Texas A&M. Robert Williams was suspended beginning of the year. There's been issues. It looks like Billy Kennedy doesn't have a ton of control of that team. So while they should be better and they've started to get hot and they have guards and they have big men inside and NBA bodies, that's a team where the mojo just isn't working right now. Would I pick them over Kansas in the second round? I don't know. I know when they're focused, they can play. But the question is, are they going to be focused? If they had everybody at full strength, they absolutely could make a run to the Final Four as a seven seed. Except in this bracket, they'd run to Wichita State. Eight, nine seeds, no surprise here. We've talked about Nevada. Gus and I love Nevada. Positionless basketball. In this bracket, they'd play Louisville, who I don't think should be in the tournament. So I think Nevada would win that game. And we'll find out a lot about Nevada when they go to Boise State tomorrow night. Then they play Villanova. And that would be a fascinating game, Villanova and Nevada. But if you look at the dangerous 8-9 games, that's one that jumps out off the page. Kentucky, Florida State, I'd have no problem looking at Kentucky getting hot. They just have to show it to me first. We got to see it. We got to see a run in the SEC tournament. We got to see a run at the end of the season. They got to start going here. Somebody's got to be their league scorer. If Nevada's positionless basketball, Kentucky is no go-to guy basketball. And that usually doesn't work in the tournament. TCU, Seton Hall, not crazy about either one of those teams. Seton Hall, you know my thoughts, went off on them. And TCU doesn't play any defense, and that's the problem. They have to start defending better. They would have Purdue in the second round. I don't think that would be particularly close. So there it is, folks. The middle seeds. The forgotten middle class. The forgotten middle child. The forgotten middle seeds. That's where you have to focus your attention. Those are the schools that I'm really going to be watching over the next few weeks before March Madness comes around. Selection Sunday's here. The seeds are announced because that's going to make or break your bracket. Sure, we can pick a few upsets, a few Cinderella's. And sure, we know the top seed. And we know from that group, more than likely, it's where the national champion's coming from. But when it comes to making your bracket work and comes to winning the bracket challenges and having the most accurate predictions and being able to see the tournament before it happens, you better focus on those middle seeds, five to eight, and you better identify the ones that can get dangerous. And maybe, just maybe, this will be like one of those years, like the Yukon Huskies back in 2014, where one of those middle seeds could even win a national title. So join me. Join the Screen the Screener podcast on the quest for the perfect bracket. Study the top, study those Cinderella's, But most importantly, don't forget about those middle seats. 